Hi, and welcome everyone to the 96th episode of CM Rocks. This is Marcus Allanson, and today's podcast will be about the state of dynamic CRM in 2020. And with me today, I have Jukka Niranen from Forward Forever. Jukka has been working with Microsoft Business Applications since 2005, starting his career with CRM version 3. He has been blogging about CRM and other business application topics for over a decade, and he has been awarded a Microsoft MVP eight times for his community contributions. Jukka is one of the co-founders of Forever Forward, a new Finnish companies focused 100% on power platform from based solution and services. Welcome back for the sixth time, Jukka Niranen. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure to be here on this Jerem Rocks podcast. How are you doing, Jukka? I'm doing great. It's been a crazy year in many ways, but also lots of uh, good stuff coming from it. So as mentioned in the intro, uh, we've started our own company. It's been a very interesting ride, kind of transitioning from the more traditional world of Dynamics and CRM into the uh, Power Platform and Low Code side of the the story. So uh, we've had a a busy year and uh, lots of uh, things to plan for for the coming 2021. So uh, yeah, really pumped up about what's happening in the business applications ecosystem at the moment. So you haven't been on for almost two years now. I, I started to miss you. Yeah, we probably should have done like at least once a year episode because there's so much stuff to then talk about when you get a chance to visit the show. So what is it that you do now then? So, uh, well, my title, what I have on LinkedIn is a Power Platform Advisor. So uh, I'm really, uh, what I'm trying to do at our company, uh, or we have uh, at the moment uh, six advisors in our company. So we are really trying to uh, help companies uh, take ownership of their their business application platform to build their own tools that they uh, they need for basically doing the leap of digital transformation that especially this uh, new new COVID reality is requiring from them at an ever faster faster pace. So uh, we are kind of a uh, lot of what we do is also around uh, setting up governance and uh, other models needed for a solid foundation for using Power Platform tools like. Power Apps and Power Automate and Power BI for building applications more from scratch rather than taking Dynamics uh, prepackaged apps and uh, customizing. So yeah, for all of us, it's fairly a new audience to talk to these uh, new citizen developers and organizations who kind of want to want to learn how to uh, become app makers. So that's where we are really uh, spending our time and building our offering and. Uh, trying to uh, sort of keep up with stuff that Microsoft is releasing into their cloud. And we're customers all the time. What's your last memorable customer experience as a customer? Just today, I received a bank account for my uh, private uh, company. And the thing about what's memorable about the customer experience was that it took took in total five weeks for the uh, account to be opened. And uh, so, uh, yeah, maybe... It wasn't a total surprise for me, but still, I mean, in the current era where, I mean, you can uh, sign up to any cloud service and uh, be up and running in five minutes after you enter your credit card, then the fact that you have to wait for five weeks to get get access to a system where you could store your money, then uh, that's, <laughs> that's a reminder of the fact that there is still so much 
legacy from the kind of traditional finance sector, of course, with the regulations and uh, old system that they have to live with. But uh, yeah, there's, I mean, the banking systems in Finland have been pretty advanced compared to uh, many other countries for the past past couple of decades. But uh, I've got a feeling that uh, now it's becoming a really challenge for for these traditional financial organizations to keep up with uh, the threat from companies like PayPal or even Google or Apple that are are now players in that kind of same market can use use their payments mechanisms. Uh, well, yeah, that it, it was a a bit of a surprise in our all digital world that you still need to wait for a simple uh, transaction like that for five weeks. Yeah, it, it sounds like Sweden. We have a couple of big banks here as well, and um, I think they will take their time to do certain stuff. And otherwise, uh, I think they're a little bit better on the sort of customer service side and oh you can log in and do everything from online these days but yeah open an account yeah that can probably take time here as well yeah so i can well for example there's been some uh during this year a few big service breaks from these bigger banks in finland so where you basically had like a 24-hour downtime of using any of their services and even their credit cards or the mobile payments. So it's kind of uh, strange when you compare that to a like a true cloud era service, like for example, like Google Search or Amazon Shopping. I mean, they are never down. There's no downtime at all. And even for Dynamics, I mean, there are no service breaks that you would have to uh, uh, wait for the whole night to get a new version up and running. So I mean, the technology. Uh, that's available has really moved on quite fast but then if you are still having lots of mainframe stuff there that has been built many decades ago then of course they cannot easily get get the same kind of service from those um, those systems yet even though they're kind of uh, the uh, the front side of the house the the websites and all that are are flashy but behind the scenes there's lots of cobalt stuff and other other edgy technologies that probably are still holding them back compared yeah. to the new players so if you will look at the Power Platform, what would you say are the top three highlights of the last year? Well, uh, because of what's happened in the world in 2020, it became the uh, year of the work from home revolution and uh, remote working. And I'd say that's the the number one uh, uh, most, uh, the biggest phenomenon has been Teams. And uh, from our perspective, the way how Teams is becoming a, a platform in itself. So uh, uh, I've of course been uh, doing, uh, keeping a close eye on on Teams from the Dynamics and Power Apps perspective already before, from how you've been able to integrate with it and, for example, leverage the the groups as a security mechanism for sharing documents and that kind of stuff. But now the can I think the world has, has kind of turned upside down. That's uh, now Teams really is becoming quickly the, in Microsoft's vision, the primary interface through which you discover apps and also now with the launch of the the Dataverse for Teams version that comes bundled in with the Teams license, then it's also a, a tool where you get to build fairly complex applications for scenarios that traditionally might have been more on the kind of uh, XRM development side of the house. So would you say that with this Dataverse and Dataverse for Teams then, that Microsoft is after the 
user base in Microsoft Teams to try to get them to the Dataverse side. Yeah, I think it's fairly obvious that it's a uh, big numbers game. So uh, if you think about how many users there could be for a, a sales CRM application, for example, compared to then how each and every information worker and even the kind of uh, frontline workers are now uh, connected to Teams every day to get their jobs done, then it's obvious that... Uh, it kind of works both ways that it's the uh, it's the uh, primary window for them to push anything new into the market and then also at the same time because teams needs to compete with zoom and other players uh, in the market that are places where where people are now then spending their working days so uh it, it, they kind of have a very shared destiny in that sense so the uh, the collaboration uh, tools in teams they they need to get more depth into what you can do with them. So get the kind of uh, business process context for the uh, information that has been exchanged there. And then at the same time, uh, the idea of you kind of uh, logging into separate applications like Dynamics or Salesforce or whatever business applications and then performing stuff there and uh, then kind of... uh, doing it outside of the context of those discussions and meetings that you have in in Teams, then uh, it's becoming a fairly disconnected experience if you look at it from uh, how people, uh, what they do on their laptops, for example. So pretty much every application now needs to think about how they they will be part of that, uh, that workflow that happens within the context of Teams. Yeah, and I think I read something in October that... The Microsoft Teams has 115 million daily active users. And I mean, that must be a lot higher than, say, Power Platform and Dynamics combined. So if they manage to get just a parcel of that going in DataFlex for Teams, and then a, a part of that even smaller towards dataverse then that's probably a big big gain for them um yeah but but what do you think about the limitations here though if you compare dataverse and dataverse for teams well it's obvious that uh the the teams version or the kind of data platform that you, you get embedded into a single team then it's really meant for to be used within the context of that single team. So it's not for any enterprise-wide applications uh, and also the possibility for you to then uh, integrate with the other data sources. Like, for example, if you would have your, your CRM system running there in Dynamics, then you cannot reach out into it and then uh, copy data. So uh, it, there, are, there are that kind of... It's a bit of a especially at the moment, it's a bit of a silo because there's not yet that good ways for you to get data in and out. It's going to get better as more features roll out there, but uh, it will never be, you will never have the kind of granularity of saying that, for example, who can do what, because the whole user rights and security model is derived from the membership of the team where the app lives so that really is the that sets the context that context of the application and uh, it's a it's very smart thing to do because of the fact that then you also remove some of the uh, application uh, architecture design concerns by 
not having options to to configure, for example, the uh, users uh, separately from the team members, team ownership and guests, for example, because we have to remember that uh, uh, for the users who are not familiar with building XRM apps or uh, extending Dynamics 365 applications, then uh, for them, it's uh, the barrier for building apps. If you had to take the full Dataverse, then uh, they wouldn't do it. They would use some other technology. They would keep using Excel, or they'd use some more, uh, let's say, simplified app makers, like, for example, Airtable, and these kind of services are especially popular on the U.S. side. So uh, they've been uh, designed as a very very Excel-like experience from, from the start, whereas then with Dataverse, I mean, we've, when we're build, building these uh, XRM solutions, then there's been a strange kind of duality that we've always done the kind of uh, data model and data entry completely separately there. So first we've opened up the customization UI and uh, then started to configure, configure the various solution components there. And then we go and run the app and say, okay, it looks like this. Then we go enter some uh, test data there and see that, okay, what kind of uh, views and uh, uh, let's say logic we need to build here. But uh, that kind of app creation is, uh, you have to be fairly educated with the tools to like understand that, okay, where do you go to do what? And uh, what's really great about uh, the Dataverse for Teams, I think, is that it, it sort of uh, also challenges many of these kind of uh, assumptions that we have about the app building makes it look like more like you would be just uh, uh, building a, a fancy Excel with uh, some app functionality. So I think applications are a good thing there in that sense because uh, much of the stuff that's not there is not something that the the target users of Dataverse for Teams would ever be asking for. Yeah, so uh, some of the limitations are done. So you just have two roles. That's That's the thing that you talked about. You have the owner and the membership. These are the primarily two roles that you have, and you assign them from Microsoft Teams, not in Dataverse at all. You just have one organization, no business units, uh, languages. You don't really have something there, or yeah, or, or well, currencies and that kind of stuff. It's uh, yeah. removed from it, so you cannot build a a CRM system there because you don't have the activity concepts and customer lookups and all, all that so and uh, for a good reason because those are then the sources of complexity so if you think about even how long it's been it's taken let's say power automate and power apps to start supporting those uh, different specific data types from the XRM era then yeah it's it's not technically easy and it's not easy conceptually to to work with the things that we maybe kind of take for granted and see that okay it's those are things that we could never live without. Without well, the new app makers in Dataverse for Teams are never going to miss them. Yeah. So, uh, what do you think about SharePoint list or, or sorry, Microsoft list? And do you think that that's sort of the same thing as Dataverse? Or um, what would you say? Of course, it's not the same thing, but for users, then new users to this. That's a very good point because uh, even when uh, when the Dataverse for Teams or Dataflex, as it was first called, was announced during the summer, then the screenshots from the data grid there were identical to what the 
new Microsoft lists experienced announced just a while ago was, and some even some MAPs confused them to be kind of uh, that this was Dataflex would be based on the Microsoft lists, but of course it's not. It's just using the set shared UI components there, and uh, it's going to be another. Uh, in the whole Microsoft 365 uh, stack of tools, there's such big lo- overlap with like things like To Do and Outlook Task and Planner and uh, Project and whatever. As an example, in task management era. So here it is another another question where the answer isn't really obvious unless you know the uh, kind of uh, role of the different tools in the bigger architecture of uh, Microsoft's productivity cloud. I'd say that uh, Microsoft lists is meant to be used as a list. So the list is an app in itself. So you can adjust the uh, contents of the list. So what kind of columns you have there. And also you could customize the the forms that you use for data entry of the list. You can even, of course, build uh, Power Apps, Canvas apps on top of the list, which makes it <laughs> blurs the lines <laughs> more there. But uh, the point being that... Uh, what you create as a end result is still going to be an app called lists, which the users interact with and which they then add as a tab into Teams. And uh, eventually there's probably going to add lists app for your phone as well. That will be a standalone app there. But then whereas with, uh, with Dataverse for Teams, you always need to build the app yourself. So you need to use Power Apps there to create the UI and the the backend uh, data model itself could be similar to what list offers. Now you might have just one a single table also for your your power app uh, if there's no no more complex relational data models needed there. Uh, then uh, that's perfectly uh, valid to question which which one should you use there if it's such a simple data structure. But the moment you go beyond that and you need to relate uh, two different record types or like concepts together like accounts and contacts, for example, from the CRM world, then, yeah, then this shows the reality that it's just a kind of uh, rebranded and uh, new new UI on top of SharePoint list. Yeah. So I thought that they were trying to get to people to move off SharePoint lists with this Dataverse for Teams so that you could easily expand beyond the list concept. So you started out with a sort of more correct point, a starting point, so you don't build your technical depth just right off the bat. But perhaps I'm mistaken that perhaps you can go a lot further with these Microsoft lists than the SharePoint list previously could. Well, the fact is that even though app creation barrier is now very low in Netverse for Teams, and there's it's still a barrier, so you need to do a lot more than compared to just uh, adding a list with columns yeah. and having the ready-made app there. So, plus the the world is full of Microsoft lists <laughs> as a yeah. existing data source. So there's no uh, no denying the fact that uh, SharePoint uh, will. Uh, live on and become more and more popular as, as the services around it uh, gain more traction in the Microsoft cloud. So I'm not saying that, uh, yeah, I mean, you probably shouldn't, uh, SharePoint definitely is not the uh, destination for you to build low-code apps anymore, probably not even apps uh, in the way we understand them in the business apps world. Now, of course, you can extend SharePoint and then create the, create custom, uh, let's say, experiences for how you can interact with content uh, like documents on SharePoint and all the 
I mean, using Microsoft Graph and all the contents you get from the, that side, there's lots of need for professional developers to still uh, build stuff uh, kind of, if not on SharePoint, then alongside SharePoint uh, using Azure, of course, as the uh, as place to put your custom code into. But then uh, in the middle there, I mean, going from list to that full-blown SharePoint development, then that's where the Dataverse and all the Power Platform stuff is positioned to be the, the right solution for for you to move further in, in that uh, sort of uh, the life cycle of the application and complexity. Mm. Yeah, and they rebranded Office 365 to Microsoft 365. So if we look at this Microsoft 365 side of Power Platform there, uh, do you think that there's any future for like having a business process flow to your Word document or something like that? I do believe that, well, for example, uh, there's been uh, simplified uh, apps for using Power Automate to uh, to do this kind of approval scenarios and other common tasks that you need to perform in the in the office world now called Microsoft 365. So I do see that uh, lots of the, there's, uh, I mean, Power Platform uh, when it bundled into the license of your M365 subscription, then it, it is really powerful and usually it will probably still re- remain as a common starting point for anything that's about automation and uh, messaging. So uh, because uh, you don't always need that much stuff in the actual database, in the data model that you would build into Dataverse, we maybe see that as coming from the extreme side. It was always more about the back end stuff, but now in the in the Microsoft 365 cloud, there are so many different services that you can tie together with the tools from uh, our platforms. So that's definitely a, a big growing area as well, where I see that these these common tools will then be applied a lot more in the future. Yeah, so perhaps they're perhaps more looking to RPAs and process mm-hmm. automation yeah. for the Microsoft 365, your documents or your processes, all of that can perhaps be automated in a future here with the yeah um, power automate side then who knows um so salesforce bot slack does that mean anything for microsoft teams or what do you think about that i think it kind of validates the whole uh, idea behind teams a a platform and uh if you think about the origins of where microsoft teams came from then uh, just uh, a moment before they announced the product, like well, four years ago or something, then there were talks about Microsoft buying Slack for, I think it was at that time, it, the price was set, told to be $8 billion. And now uh, Salesforce bought it for 28 or something billion. So <laughs> lots of growth in valuation of, of these uh, so to say, group chat tools that have you know, turned into the collaboration platforms for a whole generation of, of information workers. So uh, if we think about the the importance of uh, Slack to Salesforce, then uh, Salesforce, of course, had uh, uh, launched Chatter over 10 years ago. And uh, that was around the time when then Microsoft bought Yammer and made that part of their, their office family. Very loosely integrated part, but anyway... And uh, so uh, Chatter for Salesforce has always, it was always designed to be the uh, the communication channel for stuff that happens in your CRM. So it couldn't really, 
become the the hub for all your, your teamwork like uh, teams could and like slack has turned turned into in the many of the non-microsoft houses and organizations that are not uh, kind of standardizing on top of microsoft cloud so slack definitely it also uh, if you think about the uh, let's say history of salesforce then they've started building their their cloud in the very very early days uh, so being in the very forefront of the whole SaaS revolution but uh, as a result then they have lots of legacy on top of their oracle databases and uh, whereas then slack is of course a lot more modern platform and uh, if you think about teams then that's uh, it's not just a version of Skype for business which was version of OCS and all that it's been built from the ground up on top of azure services so uh, it's been a it's been a big uh, platform play from the start not just about the chats and uh, video conferences and so on but rather kind of giving a modern fabric on top of all those cloud services and uh, what i think slack can then do is that uh, what salesforce will try to do with it is, is that they will try to make it also there the connecting fabric so the way that people will then in the future primarily interact with uh, the uh, salesforce uh, uh, sales and marketing clouds and uh, their lightning apps and force.com applications uh, because uh, because of the fact that uh, uh, well if we think about why why uh, Microsoft then didn't buy slack or which I, why I think it was a great decision is that they decided to then kind of build versus buy and they'd be building power platform really uh, from the ground up as internal tools that they they own that one on their technology uh, compared to then just buying some services like Yammer to then painfully integrate into their stack for 10 years. So that has been the key recipe for success for Microsoft, whereas for Salesforce, they've been buying rather than building. They've been buying Tableau and whatever big companies earlier as well. So Slack isn't that that surprising as uh, the acquisition isn't surprising as a strategic move for Salesforce. But now they really have a need for integrating these disparate clouds into a, a common experience that uh, kind of hides the complexity of the the different clouds that actually make up their service portfolios. So uh, I think that's also a, a very big reason why Slack can become a very central part of the whole Salesforce story going forward. Yeah. And I mean, you can build pretty many things with 27.7 billion US dollars, but again, perhaps not the user base, perhaps not the brand recognition. I mean, even if you throw money, money, money at it, it still takes time to do it. So yeah. I, I guess time will tell, but uh, I, I'm definitely a Teams person because we're we're a Microsoft house and most of our customers are. So it's fantastic to see all the new features that's coming out like every other week. Just new features. Oh, you can do this. You can do noise canceling. You can do background canceling. Oh, it's just lovely to see. Yeah, with the huge growth in the number of active users, then there's, of course, uh, way more money now being poured o- onto Teams development than probably anyone had planned. So the uh, the nice side effect from that is that uh, there's also then 
for the application side for the platform use there's so much more more investments and uh let's say also uh, more interest from uh, also uh, partners from outside the traditional microsoft ecosystem to then integrate with teams so i think that it has a uh, it's a monumental product for microsoft uh, to kind of uh, claim some of the land that uh, Salesforce and Google maybe have managed to grab from the companies that uh, have been standardizing different clouds than, than what Microsoft offers. Yeah. I mean, from 75 million the spring of 2020 to 115 million daily active users in October of 2020, uh, it's not really 50%, but it's getting close to 50% growth over, I mean, half a year. So that's, yeah, that's the, that's the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. So if you could say that Teams is like 10 times more important to Microsoft than Windows is at the moment, because uh-huh. it's what people actually log into and it's available on your phones and it's it's the new operating system. So in that sense... Uh, and they can- lost the browser war, so yeah. Let's go for something else. <laughs> yeah, and it's really at the sweet spot of what they try to be. So they are they are the kind of uh, professional graph. So they are not the in the much in the consumer business aside from Xbox, but in in the world of uh, kind of uh, business interactions, they have LinkedIn data now. Then also have the GitHub developer networks. So uh, yeah, that's I mean that's data plus then the kind of uh, the collaboration fabric that's way more important these days than the actual operating system that your devices run on. Yeah. So what are the licenses for Power Platform then? Well, licensing remains to be the number one source spot for <laughs> the local story for Microsoft's products. And uh, if we think about what's been happening this year, it's funny, there hasn't really been that many significant changes announced to licensing for Power Platform tools, but we've seen a lot of uh, impact from the earlier announcements, kind of like what they made in October 2019. And uh, so people are now, well, people have been waiting for Microsoft to come up with the mechanisms for actually reporting on the licensing uh, consumption uh, for many of these uh, platform tools. And it's been over a year and still not there available. So uh, it, uh, it gives you an idea about the complexity of how how the Microsoft needs to build that uh, basically adjust their whole cloud commerce engine to so- support these kind of licensing rules that uh, uh, Power Platform and Dynamics now have because of their of the merging of those two platforms so uh, it's uh, it's a lot of lot of work for the team and i'm not i don't think that they are making it complex uh, on purpose rather they're trying to find ways of like uh, uh, without disrupting the existing uh, businesses around dynamics and the existing contracts and terms too much to find ways to then offer the power apps and uh, power automate and other tools from that same common platform but for a whole new audience that is going to be much much bigger than dynamics ever could so those are the there's lots of uh, conflicts of interest even internally probably for microsoft in in that game and just recently we saw the uh, uh, volume licensing offer now for for the per app and per user licenses so for example for the per app if you buy now 
is it 200 uh, licenses then instead of the list price of ten dollars you get them for three dollars so it looks to be if you observe it on the numbers level then it's say 70 percent discount and you could then think about okay is, is it a panic move from microsoft are they not getting customers to actually buy power apps but i think the story there is uh, different uh, it's more about them making it now public that what is the actual discounting practice that they always have been using for for the larger customers especially with the ea agreements so uh, because you've never people who are now kind of only starting to evaluate the these tools as a option for building their own apps they see the list price there on the website and then use that for their business case calculations and they don't understand that actually their organization may get a 70 percent discount from that price or by default already just by the the terms that they've negotiated uh, centrally with their procurement department and with Microsoft. So this is if you buy it using volume licenses from either a cloud a CSP, but does it's, uh, this is not from enterprise agreement, right? So if you have an enterprise agreement, you probably already have a good discount there. So this is not the new list price. This is from now until, was it mid of next year or something? Yeah, that was the duration of this pricing. And uh, yeah, it's very true that with EA, you may even have already lower prices there if your volumes go higher. So 200 licenses is not, is not big for for EA, of course, where the, is it like 500 users? It's the minimum number of seats you need to actually even get into an EA agreement. Yeah. So um, yeah, it, it's... Uh, probably more a response into kind of uh, removing some of the friction there from this traditional negotiation of uh, license prices for systems like CRM that have been uh, bought centrally for the whole enterprise. And now there are departments that then want to uh, take power apps and build their own smaller apps on top of it some apps that are are not yet fit for the database for teams environment that need a bit more you need premium connector for example for integration then you need the premium apps there and uh, so it's yeah. a shame that if they then uh, do miscalculation of the the cost of using a platform versus then for example cost of using custom developers there then 70 percent is a is a big deal there but it's probably a reflection of uh, what they would get if uh, they knew how to how the licensing game works with Microsoft. Yeah. So if you do do just do the math here, it seems like if you buy more than sixty, you should probably buy two hundred in just a package and just go for it. Because the more you use after that, the easier the the cheaper it gets. Because I think that's sort of the crossroads where you can buy them 10 per user per app or free per user per app and then you just buy 200 instead if you buy more than 60 of those so just just make sure you know about it do some math and see if it's worth it for you yeah i think this is a also kind of a response to the launch of the free edition included in teams because then 
the stepping up from that if you need, for example, to go beyond two gigabytes of storage that the database for Teams offers as a max, then it cannot be then a too big of a jump for you to then yeah. need to upgrade that into full Dataverse. So you need these kind of cheap licenses there. And the per app is great for these initial trials uh, with some smaller scenarios. But of course, the end game there is that the Microsoft will want customers to have the per user licensing. So you don't then need to assign these per app passes and count that, okay, how many users can I share this app with? But rather it should be like SharePoint so that everybody in the organization has yeah. right back into their agreement. So it becomes a non-issue eventually once you get over that hump of like proving the value of the local platform. And we've been talking here for an hour or 40 minutes now. And I've been struggling actually, because there are a lot of things that changed names over this last year. Do you feel the same? Well, if licensing is the biggest pain point with Microsoft this uh, application, then naming is number two, definitely there. Uh, it's getting a bit crazy, of course. Now, uh, the latest uh, big uh, renaming has been going from CDS to Dataverse. And then we had that DataFlex episode there in between where the uh, conflict of trademarks then forced Microsoft to do a cancel their... Uh, name and go back to a kind of internal project name. I haven't really seen anything like that happen with Microsoft products ever. So uh, it makes me wonder if there's actually a bit too much uh, agility and speed now there in how they how they operate with this uh, growing stack of tools and how they kind of want to, want to uh, get rid of maybe some of the uh, legacy that's coming from the XR origins and the dynamics uh, uh, side of the business there when they are now talking with this new generation of uh, app makers that are not pro developers and not business analysts but rather just citizen developers who are trying to get their job done so uh, it, yes. In the long run, it probably is all worth it. I can see why they want to have a technology that makes sense for this uh, kind of uh, target reality. But then you have to remember the existing customers who suffer from all this. And the consultants have to <laughs> try yeah. and explain the story with a straight face to the customer saying that, okay, last week I told you this, this week is, is named like this. And, well, we've all been there, but we just end up being there quite a lot these in the three names products. Yeah. So I mean I like the term dataverse. It's like the universe but for your data. So I kinda get how they come up with that and it's it's really good. But it's just that um there's so much things more that change names. So we have the whole entity is no longer an entity that's a table and the attributes or or properties are now columns and there are no records there are rows what do you feel about that terminology change that's bug probably a bigger thing for many of the i mean old timers in the external world or from that world that that have been with the platform for a long time so uh, the especially the simplification of going from entity to table then 
because we spent so much time now uh, convincing the the newcomers and the customers that uh, Dataverse is more than just a database. It's more than just having tables there. So it's not just your version of SQL. It's a lot more. And as a result, you pay a lot more for it from a licensing perspective. So that story gets a bit uh, uh, reversed with this naming. But uh, frankly, if we then look at the, again, going back to the experience that I talked about there for the Dataverse for Teams, when you go to Teams and start building an app there, and you do that all within that the same UI where you add those uh, columns into that visual table, enter uh, uh, rows there. You work exactly the same way as you would with an with an Excel uh, table. So at that it moment, looked done like a table. <laughs> yeah. So at that <laughs> time, you'd be telling the app makers that actually no, this is not a table. This is an entity, and these are now uh, attributes and. Uh, and so on, and you don't add rows into the table, you add records, then uh, that will be a turn-off for them. So uh, the thing is that, I mean, even though we've been using them for some over a decade or go already, then we'll get over it. We will gradually start using the new terms. We'll probably stick to some of the old terms there in in a stubborn way, but uh, it doesn't, uh, the net result is probably going to be positive anyway once you get over it. So it's a bit like probably the the whole changes in licensing. So you need to get that done at some point. So then why not make it in the crazy year of 2020 and then <laughs> rename all the things? Yeah. I mean, we were already uncomfortable with the, with the pandemic going on. So why not keep doing uncomfortable things, right? Yeah. So it's not going to make the top list for most other... Uh, People in the world, only for nerds like us who are looking at this this BizApps ecosystem. So yeah, it's uh, there's of course uh, so much uh, already existing uh, user base there that has been started to build those apps, and it's not great from the credibility perspective. Maybe so, uh, I kind of hope that we will not then see a lot of renaming then in 2021, but. Uh, if we think about what happens then with the products in the Dynamics 365 side of the house, then uh, well, in my blog, I wrote about this crazy stuff that has happened with the, the Insights products. And uh, honestly, I mean, even though I keep track of the these changes, uh, well, on a weekly basis, then I sometimes have referred to my own blog post to like, figure out that what was actually the, the name of the new product and uh, what were the previous names of it. So the customer insights uh, naming and all, especially this new, this new AI-based stuff that used to be initially AI for X stuff. Now it was then X insights, and now they they are they go from customer insights to audience insights to engagement insights. It feels like just a, a kind of a bingo card <laughs> there where you throw out so many different names there that uh, it becomes. Uh, People just give up. They don't even want to try and follow that. So what are you talking about right now? So it may be also it devalues the the promise of the platform a bit because the big deal there really is that so many of those products built on top of that same foundation that has been used in enterprise applications for uh, for 15 years or, or more because that would be the real story to tell there that it 
it's not like Salesforce that buys a company and then we branch it into a marketing cloud for them or whatever. It's actually products that are are engineered by Microsoft and work on the same same Azure technologies that also the the other products are using. It just happens that their product names are changing every week. So yeah. I feel that they are now playing the the product marketing is playing the the Salesforce game in a wrong way with the the constant renaming of those actual individual apps. Yeah, I mean one of the the things that I have noticed is this sort of it was voice of the customer. Then they sort of deprecated that, and then they came with Forms Pro, but now it's customer voice for that. So it's similar. Okay, so if you talk to someone who hasn't really been there for a while, it's like they say voice of the customer, and you're like, no, it's called customer voice, but it's not at all the same thing as the old one. And same feed with now the product operations. No, it, no, it's not the same thing. It's like totally new. Okay. So you have to explain things while you're sort of trying to so explain to them also how you gain the business value out of it. So hopefully it will slow down. The good thing is though that I mean now you have a good chance to build your own apps on the power platform and just invent your own brand and stick to it. And uh, it might be then using the background services from actual Dynamics products, but uh, yeah, you yeah. Have more consistent uh, experience and. In a way, I mean, that is uh, part of what Microsoft would, of course, hope the the partner ecosystem to to build more. So build these verticals and kind of not not go and uh, deeply customize the, the apps that are constantly evolving now in their own portfolio. Because uh, I think that they want to want to own a bigger share of that app experience now when they are, when the dynamics is, they're just apps on top of our platform and Azure rather than being the platform. Yeah, yeah. perhaps that's the thing. But, I mean, they're virtualizing as well, right? So if you look at the, what do you call it now, Microsoft Cloud for Healthcare, right? So that was the accelerator before, but that's now sold us and solution. So I have mixed feelings about that. Uh, do you have any opinion on that? Yeah, the healthcare is an interesting example of Microsoft now kind of, because uh, they've been making these accelerators for for ages. They've not been very advanced, and usually it's been more to offer an example to customers from within a particular industry about how you could be, how easy it will be for a partner to take this platform and then build a solution for you. It's probably been partially because of the the lack of uh, investments into building big uh, vertical products on top of Dynamics. So again, with the competition with Salesforce, then uh, because of the fact that the the kind of platform story or like uh, building your product on top of the platform has been a it's been much weaker compared to Force.com. So it hasn't been attracting as many actual companies to like go and build their billion-dollar businesses on top of the, the platform, then they've been suffering from that on Microsoft side. And as a result, they had to build those uh, kind of accelerators themselves. Now, uh, there's, of course, then the, the risk there in, in if you go and take a, a package from Microsoft and start kind of uh, doing your own product on top of that, and then they come up with an actual licensed product for a particular industry, then... Uh, it 
just having a single example like that will be enough to scare away many of the companies that might have considered that option earlier. So I think that it then leaves the accelerators more into the area of of the common data model and the open data initiative story, whereas where it's going to be more about open sourcing and the the data models and the the agenda there, of course, is that then it's going to be easier for you to push the data from your SAP or Adobe or whatever application into the Azure data lake and start building your analytics on top of Azure Synapse using Power BI for visualization and all that. So cutting it down on those barriers for how you can then use Microsoft's data tools together with biz apps from different vendors. But it is a... I, I believe that it's probably still an active initiative there, but we haven't really seen anything for happen there in a couple of years' time. So it's also another another mixed message that Microsoft has sent there to to the channel. Then that are they really going to do something with those harmonized data models, or was that it's just a a plan that they now scrapped and are thinking of doing something else? So it's hard to tell if you're not really paying. Paying close attention to the different moves that Microsoft is making in the on the business side. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, they're not sort of excluding all of the ISV and just stepping on them. Because I mean, Microsoft is a big elephant, and you have to learn how to dance with that elephant if you're an ISV today. And hopefully, it it won't get worse. That that's the what I hope for. Mm. But if I want to know more about um, Microsoft Teams as a platform, the licensing or the renaming frenzy that we've talked about here, where do I go? Well, the place where I keep track of these uh, topics where I share my thoughts is my personal blog, Thinking Forward, which you can find from uh, my first name, last name.com. So yukkaniranen.com. You'll probably get the link in the show notes there. Yeah. It used to be called Surviving CRM one year ago, but then I decided that it's time to move on from the CRM brand, so now it's called Thinking Forward. <laughs> so you decided to not go with a, a brand that could be changed, right? Yes, I learned enough about the <laughs> risk of getting too attached to a name that Microsoft is using because one morning you wake up and it's going to be called something else or just kind of erased like CRM has been. So... But yeah, that's been a also a good step for me because now I can can write, for example, about teams and these scenarios in a kind of the business application uh, strategy. So it gives me more freedom to also then share thoughts about our uh, journey with our company. So also remember the Forward Forever team blog. So that's also a place where I publish some content, for example, the uh, article on the Power Apps uh, per app licensing offer the three dollar uh, scenarios. So you'll also find lots of other writings from my colleagues, also from a uh, couple other Finnish MVPs in BizApps uh, category that happen to be in our company. So forwardforward.com is also a place to keep track of and to follow on Twitter. Yeah, and do you have any public speaking, perhaps virtually nowadays, scheduled where we can see you? Well, at the moment, there's nothing in my schedule. So I've noticed that uh, a lot of people are suffering from the 
from overdose of virtual events. And I've also noticed that I don't really have the time or, or worst energy to, to attend them a lot. So uh, we'll probably do a few webinars in the start of the year via Forward Forever. But uh, then uh, I haven't signed up for any any big events uh, to do a session at the, at the moment. So I've always been more of a guy who does does writing and likes to blog and uh, I do like to make PowerPoints, but then presenting them live isn't necessarily the, the, the most exciting part of it. So but whenever I'm doing new content, then you'll find it on my blog as well. So you're not going to miss out on, on that. Content. Yeah. And I always keep an eye on your blog because as, as soon as there is any news, like the, the name, the dataverse and all of that, you seem to be all top on that and sort of thinking, a long way step ahead and i was like jesus that's some insights there so i'm really grateful for your long and yeah your long blog posts really nice yeah thank you great to hear so you sometimes a problem because i end up writing so much text there and then then i share it on linkedin and said okay the estimate reading time for this is 15 minutes so <laughs> i never realized how much content can be end up in one blog post so I'm not good at doing these short, hey, here's the good new feature, just how to use it. So I've noticed that it's not my niche. I've ended up doing this uh, long long analysis, but then it's also uh, I, some, a lot of times I need to go back and read my own blog post, remember something that I thought that I have uh, kind of derived from looking at the how the ecosystem works. So hopefully then others can also kind of get some inspiration about how to yeah. think ahead and like be uh, be prepared for what's going to happen in, in the BizApps ecosystem in the future. Yeah. So who would you recommend as a future guest on this podcast? Well, I have to uh, do uh, promote my colleague, uh, MVP Antti Pajunen, because uh, he's been doing, for example, uh, in a Finnish uh, Microsoft podcast called Ikma Studio, he did a great session on on the impact of low code and also talking about how how forward forever is uh, positioning ourselves in there but he is really a been looking closely at the merging of the CRM and ERP sides of Dynamics 365 from the project operations side so he comes from the from the CRM side or customization side he's been the in my opinion the number one PSA guru in the world and now he's been also diving into the dark side of FinOps, so getting to understand how then all these uh, synchronizing of the uh, data by dual right works there, and what kind of what sort of the game in those uh, big integrated uh, offerings from Microsoft. So he would be a great person to give insights on, for example, how does uh, the uh, FinOps world or SCM look like from from the perspective of a person who has a, a CRM background. Yeah, that's really nice. I, I will uh, try to f- find him, or perhaps you can give me an introduction later offline. Yeah, I'll tell you, uh, tell him that uh, I sent you after him. So, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> yeah. come to your show. Yeah, so um, can we find you online? Where we can follow you then? Well, I spend uh, probably most time on Twitter, so uh, follow me there. J-U-K-K-A-N is my handle, so Jukka N, 
and uh, that's where I'll be sharing all, again also the always the latest announcements from Microsoft and especially my spin on it. So what I think about the the things I see out there. Yeah, thank you for your participation in CM Rocks. You can nirlanan. Thanks a lot for having me, Marcus. And thanks to you listening. And don't forget that you can find CM Rocks. Just search for it your favorite podcast player. Or you can visit cmrocks.com and you can make a comment there. See you next time on CM Rocks.